Hello, you're listening to No Such Word Is Can't with me, Hazel McBride. I was always told growing up that there was no such word as can't, and I genuinely believe that that mentality instilled a belief in me that anything was possible if I just set my mind to it. As someone who started off with a seemingly impossible dream and somehow made it my reality, I want to help more people achieve their goals by giving them actionable advice, as well as sharing stories from others who have done the same. Today, I am so excited to welcome to the podcast Sherry Tarantino, who is the Executive Director of the Orca Conservancy, who is here to talk to us about all things Southern resident killer whales and give her voice to the recent controversy surrounding the decisions being made about the Orca Tokite, or otherwise known as Lolita. Welcome to the podcast, Sherry. Thank you, Hazel. So happy to be here. Thank you. I am so happy that you have taken the time out of what is undoubtedly a very busy schedule um, to sit down and chat. So let's get right into it. Um, you obviously love orcas. Where did that passion first come from? Well, I grew up being a SeaWorld gal. Uh, we actually lived in Ohio and I'm going to date myself here, but there used to be a SeaWorld in Aurora Shores, Ohio. There it is. And it was, um, it was actually conjoined and Geauga Lake and Geauga Lake was an amusement park and then SeaWorld was on the opposite side. And every summer, my family and I would do the um, theme park circuit and we would always end up at SeaWorld. Um, I think that's really where I fell in love with the killer whale, you know, not really understanding back then, you know, what the complications were with having them in captivity, but um, yeah, I, that's where my passion started. I was probably six or seven the first time that I saw one. And then probably when I was about 13, my mom somehow found um, a whale from the Whale Museum and adopted it for me, J6 Ralph. And that just totally turned me into like wanting to do more with the wild orcas and life went on and then one day you know i'm on the internet and i was like oh, i wonder how ralph's doing you know and that's when i found out that they were now an endangered species that their um, population size was plummeting you know they at one point were at like 98 and then we're down to like 72 mm. and i just started you know i actually created a facebook um oh gosh what was it back then i can't remember what it was but it was it was for on facebook um Anyway, um, so I started that and I started, you know, just posting stuff, you know, to, to make people aware, um, you know, salmon has always been the front runner in all the conversations that we have about this population. Uh, and then um, I ended up finding out about Orca Conservancy back in 2011, um, joined the organization in like July and then was um, elected to be president at the end of the year. And then oh, just wow. kept building the organization up to where it is today. We now, we were all volunteer at one point. Um, as of this year, we have three full-time salary and a governing board of six. So. That's incredible to see what it's grown into. And how amazing that, you know, your mom adopted an orca for you when you were a child. And that really inspired your entire career. Yeah, it really did. I mean, I was horrified when I found out, you know, that they were on the endangered species list. Um, again, that their populations had pummeled, you know, because when I was little, you know, 
probably didn't even have the perception really, you know, just that every quarter I got updated information. And I remember the photos, you know, just seeing them grouped tightly together. And there was a lot of them. And today, if you go out, it's really not like that anymore. Oh, yeah, you go out, you see them today. And it's just a matri line here and there, which sometimes is only like four to six, if you're lucky, where, you know, when I first came out here in 2000, and, um, I think it was 2011. Uh, the first time we went out, we saw them close to the British Columbia border. And it was all of JPOD and they were tightly, you know, they were all together. And you really don't see that very often. We did last year, which was a good sign, I hope. Um, the reason for them splitting up like that is a lack of prey. So mm -hmm. they're, you're not grouped together because they're searching so hard, you know, for um, salmon. Yeah. Do you remember the, I know you said you grew up in Ohio and even though my geography is terrible, I'm a, I, that's a landlocked state. I'm aware yeah. of that much. Do yeah. you remember the first time you saw a killer whale in the wild? That was when I came here in 2011. And what and was I that was like? Away. I was just like, I mean, I started crying because it was just such, like, I can't explain the emotion that comes over you. There's just something about this population that really does just pulls you in. It's almost magnetic. Um, and then um, at that point, I started, I wanted to move to Washington. I actually was living in the Midwest and I started the plan and it took me three years and I ended up moving out here. Wow. I just, I yeah. love hearing from people who are so passionate and driven in their lives and literally alter their lives to be like, hey, this is my dream and this is my passion and I'm, I'm going to pursue it. I'm going to do what right. I have to do to make it happen. Never thought in a million years this would be my life and I love it. You know, there's highs and lows with anything, but I feel very honored, you know, to be able to speak for this population in hopes of recovering them. Absolutely. So you have mentioned, you know, you became president of the Orca Conservancy pretty quick. And then now the organization has grown, you know, obviously thanks to the work that you've put in and all of your volunteers too. So what kind of projects are you guys involved in and what do you really advocate for? Great question. Um, we have recently, probably in the last three years, um, I kind of was moving the organization towards like tangible projects that can actually help the population. Mm. We've always been in involved with science and law and we are very, um, we, we bring the, the Southern residents to the table basically mm. so that they have a voice, whether it's based on legislation, comments, um, salmon meetings, you know, with the fisheries and such that's going on. And that kind of moved us to our projects that we have now. Um, we are doing salmon restoration. This is our first year of actually getting people out to do restoration to repair um, riparian areas along, you know, river tributaries that are salmon bearing. So to be able to produce more food for the population. Mm. Um, we also have hydrophones that are AI um, hydrophones that are programmed with AI technology. And what we've done is take Southern resident killer whale calls and have put them into these hydrophones, placing them out in the water. And then when the Southern residents come by, because they're chatty, they like to talk a lot, the uh, hydrophones will actually detect their calls and send out notifications to like um, enforcement or the navies, you know, people that are, you know, out there that aren't aware or the shipping, you know, to slow people down. 
Um, we're also doing water quality um, and temperature testing, uh, right? This is our second year on the Snoqualmie River. The reason for doing this is to basically be able to get data, you know, over a period of time so that we can use that data, you know, and tell like government entities or, you know, people that are trying to write grants, these are the areas that we need to do more restoration work so that mm. there's more shade, that the waters are cool, and then the salmon can survive and technically become orca food, right? Mm -hmm. um, then we also are doing uh, boater education and enforcement. Uh, this year we'll have two girls down in Gig Harbor. It's basically to educate um, the Bee Whale Wise guidelines that are here in Washington State. Um, we also have two theodolites this year that we'll be using. So to make sure that if people are harassing the whales, that we're able to detect it, be able to program it, get you know video and pictures of it, and then send it to the um, proper authorities, whether it's WDFW or uh, NOAA Fisheries. We are not the ones to make the enforcement. We're just there to say, hey, this is happening. We don't want to do that, but if it's egregious, then you know we have to there's there's we just have to do it so i think that's it i'm trying to think of anything else that we've got going on but i think that's it right now i mean that's still a lot the the ai audio recordings from the hydrophone is so interesting to me are you guys able to pinpoint um like I identify individual calls from that yeah you can tell when like when we have a hydrophone at sunset bay which is up here in everett that actually is down right now we had a really bad storm come through and like everybody lost their hydrophones. So we're all like replacing them. But once you, when you hear them, and then I also get notifications, like if Southern residents happen to go by, I'll get an email saying, oh, we heard Southern residents, they're here. Transients are, you hear them, but I don't, I don't feel as much because they're way quieter because they mm. don't want their prey to know they're, they know they're coming. <laughs> right. You know, they sometimes do celebrate after the fact, but technically, yeah, they're not as chatty as Southern residents, yeah. like Southern residents in theory, like if they're eating, they're eating with their mouth full. I mean, they're just, they are so chatty. It's pretty I cool. I love that. I just, yeah. the, the development of technology, you know, using AI, using drones, et cetera, becoming mm such important tools for researchers to use that are less invasive that you know we can really use to identify animals and to really help them and I love that you spoke about um tangible projects you know it's something that we're really trying to make a move towards in in the zoological community as well you know it's all well and good rescuing a turtle here and there but if we're not actively taking you know, what we're learning, you know, the research projects that we're involved with, we want to make sure that it's research that is going to benefit wild counterparts, that's really going to contribute towards what we know about these animals and potentially help them. We want to be training our staff so that they can actually, you know, help in appropriate moments with either endangered species or entanglements, you know, community outreach, you know, all of these different things. We really want to be making a difference um, and a move like that. So I love um, all of those things. And I'm sure I'll leave all the links below so people can also hopefully get involved with the Orca oh, Conservancy you. too, um, yeah. because that's super important. So obviously you know a lot about the Southern residents. Um, and I feel like the Southern residents really came into kind of public knowledge a few years ago when the two, it was two instances within one summer, I believe I'm going to get this wrong. Was it J17? Um, she's gone also, but it was J35 Tahlequah. That, yes. Her, her 
newly born calf and then j50 yeah. who was scarlet scarlet was, yeah yeah that was hard that was probably that was hard i don't i ugly cried i don't know how to you know more than just to say it was just scarlet j50 was my girl and if you see the photo oh. back here that's her and her um brother or uncle mike I loved her. She was very gregarious, you know, constantly out of the water. She was a trip. So yeah, to lose her was pretty hard on, on a lot of us. And then just seeing Tahlequah go through what she did. And I mean, was it 17 days? I think she carried yeah. her hand. And then there was this huge concern that we were going to lose her because of mm -hmm. all the stress that she was going through, you know, and I believe if I'm not mistaken, J17 was her mom. And she is no longer with us. You know, these guys are a lot like us. You know, you know, we lose infants. It's it's really stressful. And then we get sick because we're so stressed. So yeah. Did you see a big change in donations or people being willing to help out from all of that media attention? Yeah, it's it's sad that a lot of times we see more donations through the sad things mm. that get a lot of media you mm -hmm. know when the media is on top of it that's when our donations go up we are honestly very blessed to have a awesome donation um uh, group i guess you could say i mean our members and supporters are fabulous you know we, we couldn't be more grateful but yeah yeah when it's sad <laughs> i mean even good news it's like it's not as high in, in donations then um, yeah. If it's sad, I guess it's a misery loves company kind of thought process, maybe. I think with the with those two particular instances, I would say you know more so the the seventeen days of carrying um, a dead calf that really resonated with people because I think the grief was so apparent. You know, mm -hmm. we love to anthropomorphize animals. I do it. I'm definitely guilty of it. Um, yeah. But you know, in that instance, there was no other explanation. There was no other explanation That's than saying point. these animals also experience emotion. Um, and I think that really resonated with people. And I think humans can be very guilty of putting our own thoughts and feelings and emotions on animals and forget that these animals potentially don't think the same way that we do um, about all right. things, um, which is an argument I use a lot in the captivity debate. You know, I'm like, I understand the concept of travel wiki doesn't necessarily understand the concept of travel so she's not going to feel the same way about it as i am you know but that's that's a whole other debate i'm sure but right. i do want to kind of touch on you know people who donate to the orca conservancy like you said and you've just given us so many examples of tangible work that you are doing to help save the southern residents how do you feel about other charities who are involved with and I'm I'm not I'm not wanting you to like throw shade at them or anything like that. I'm just <laughs> I'm just trying to make a point of people to be aware of who they're giving donations to. Um if they care about killer whales. Um because I think so often the and I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable, but <laughs> so often <laughs> a focus is put on, you know, boycott marine parks or shut down marine parks or whatever. And a lot of the focus is like, oh their animals are suffering, blah 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 they tend to forget about the animals who really are suffering out there in the wilds. Um, do you wish that people put more of a focus on that or really focused on 
the southern residents more or even dolphins and other whales out there? Um, I mean, I'm obviously partial, you know, because I know this population is struggling. Hmm. Um, and I'll, you know, just as a recap, there's 73 southern resident killer whales left in the world. I mean, that's it. They're a distinct population segment. Um, the threats that they're facing, obviously, is humans, but the lack of prey, you know, they're mm -hmm. very um, food stressed, I guess you could say, and then mm -hmm. toxins in the waters, and then noise. And then also, we have to worry about what happens if we get an oil spill. So those are like, encompassed into what this population is facing. Um, you have to have a passion, I think, for for who you're donating to, donating to, too. I think um, there's a lot of awesome groups out there. There's also a lot that aren't doing as much as the others. And I think it just you really need to do your due diligence, you know, and, and make sure that you're checking out the don excuse me, the organizations that you're wanting to donate to. Um, Guidestar.org is a great place to start. You can learn about, you know, what projects the organizations are doing, what status they have, um, what monies are being spent. Tax returns usually are uploaded too, so you can yep. see exactly where monies are. So I think that really is what stands out to me. Just vet, I mean, if you, you know, you vet it. You know, if you're gonna put your money into something, know what you're putting it into, ask questions. I agree, I completely yeah. agree. And I think, you know, even when I was a killer rail trainer, there's certain, you know, anti-captivity organizations that do take a lot of public donations to kind of fight court cases. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they use it to buy expensive camera equipment, pay for flight tickets, et cetera, to get them over and into marine parks to take photos. And that has always rubbed me the wrong way because mm -hmm. I've always said, you know what, even if the whales in captivity were suffering, that's that's not how you're going to change anything. You know, that's that's not where you need to be channeling your money into. Um, so I would rather see everyone who donates to an organization like that to instead donate to places like the Orca Conservancy, because then the animals are directly going to benefit. Like we're all animal lovers at the end of the day, regardless right. of whether what side we're working on. Like we all want the animals to come first. So, right. you know, exactly. we can put the petty debates aside. But an interesting question I actually had for you was, do you think that marine parks are doing enough to help contribute towards saving the southern residents or do you think like this is maybe a personal question like I'm I genuinely want to know the answer like do you think orca trainers orca researchers in human care could be doing more to help the southern residents I think there's hmm, how do I answer this one there is such a divide, I think, between captivity issues and wild issues. Mm -hmm. And I think because of that divide, it's it's hard sometimes to bring people from both sides to the table. Yeah. You know, to actually talk about, you know, what can we do for the wild population in return? What can we do for the captive situation? Um, differences of opinions, in my view, is what solves problems. Mm -hmm. But do I think that they're doing enough? I think there's a lot of research going on how that actually pertains to 
assisting with Southern resident killer whale recovery efforts. I, I mean, I know like SeaWorld and what is it, Bush Gardens Cont Contribution Fund, I know that they're putting monies out there, you know, for uh, grants and such to help the Southern residents. But we also have that aura, if you will, out here that if you take money from SeaWorld, you're part of the problem. I don't agree with that personally, but I've seen a couple organizations take money and just be absolutely like obliterate, obliterated on social media. Have we Again, applied? I for think them? it's I think it's people getting the wrong idea. You know, it's if if you no, really want to put the animals that... first, like if you want to put the animals right. first, like accept the grant, like take the money. You know, they're they're wanting to. That's what's going to help the animals at the end of the day. But it's easy. But to the be thought process warrior. with doing that is that if you take money from SeaWorld for research, you're allowing SeaWorld to like change up and and put their narrative on your research, right? So I think that's unfortunate. I mean. We've been getting grants. We haven't gotten one from SeaWorld. We applied for one years ago, but we haven't recently because there's just we because we're going into like restoration. Mm -hmm. Our our whole focus right now is local, you know, like county and and um, foundation. But it's grants. interesting to to think, you know, okay, yeah, SeaWorld has partnered with NOAA as well. You know, they're doing lactation research, gestation yeah. research, etc. You know, they are putting money into it. But you know, it's interesting to think actually they could make they could use their you know, arguably huge voice that they have, you know, within with their public outreach and put together some community outreach programs, you know, how can they help with, you know, the the dams, for example, you know, can they get every one of their visitors to sign petitions or write letters to governing bodies or, you know, they could they could put together something like that, you know, it's definitely possible. But I really like that you brought up the idea of public outcry you know, associating the name SeaWorld in particular um, to helping wild animals. And it's a huge point of contention um, right now. Like I remember when the orca calf stranded in New Zealand and was rescued. Mm -hmm. um, I think, I can't remember if it was SeaWorld that reached out or I think it was maybe Laurel Park to say, hey, we have orca experts. It was Laurel Park because they've hand raised two orca calves before. And they were like, hey, we have experts that know exactly what you need to do. Like, we're prepared to pay to fly our experts out to help you. And they were told not to. Um, and in my opinion, that's directly harming a calf that has no say in it. You know, that's send the, the experts. Yeah, that's the same um, kind of attitude that's out here, you know. And we can go back years when um, A73 Springer um ended up right outside my front door and she's a northern resident and she's been repatriated back to her family has two babies i believe i heard she, yeah um what SeaWorld was involved in that and they were also involved with j50 yeah and who 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 better to like help with a killer whale that might be in temporary captivity than 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 SeaWorld? i mean I don't have a problem with it and I'm probably going to catch hell for saying that but I think if anyone if anyone gives you hell for putting the animals first then exactly. they've got the wrong idea 
Yeah, you know, I've been in this long enough. My skin's pretty tough now. <laughs> yeah, it's know, it's one of those I, things like if you, yeah. you know, if you have a child who is sick, you put your ego, you put everything behind you and you say, I do not care who I have to ask or who I have to call or what we have to do. We are going to make my child better. And that's how- fear is they're not going to get better or that SeaWorld's going to lie or whatever. And then, oh, we already have it in captivity, so we might as well just keep it. Yeah, That's which the mentality. And I get that. I mean, when mm -hmm. we go back, you know, in the history of the capture era that the southern residents went through, I mean, they they removed a lot of killer mm -hmm. whales from this population. But yeah. at the same time, we didn't know or they didn't know that the, this population was distinct. You know, really going back to like the early 70s, late 60s, killer whale was a killer whale. And also the mentality around what an orca was back then was very much, we didn't have the same understanding as to what, right. they, what they're like cognitively either. Exactly. And I also want to caveat this, you know, I'm not attacking anti-captivity activists by saying, well, you're never going to accept help from SeaWorld because it also goes both ways. You know, we've had quite a lot of strandings happen in Europe and wow. especially with killer whales um, and marine parks have been hesitant to help because they do not want an orca, a rescued orca or a rescued dolphin to come into their park because they know that they will get negative press for it. Because right. if that orca or dolphin is deemed non-releasable by a governing body and then has to stay in captivity, they will come under fire for it and they don't want that. And that also rubs me up the wrong way because I'm like, we're saying that they are better dead than fed and I do not agree with that. So you did mention the original live captures of the southern resident population that were then brought into captivity in the late 60s, early 70s. Obviously, live capture is not something that happens nowadays and has not happened for a while. Um, but Toki, the whale in question, the whale of the moment, shall we say, mm -hmm. you know, she's also known as Lolita, um, was one of those original live captures. Um, so can you... Tell us what you know of her in regards to the Southern resident population. Good question. What I do know of her and what we speculate is that um, she's uh, El Pod whale. Um, we've had um, historically, you know, the community um, has said that L25 Ocean Sun is her mother based on um, images that were taken of the capture, you know, by defining the eye patch that more than likely L25 is um, Toki's mom, but through genetic testing, that's not true. Also, so, if you look at age, it would be like, if that's right. the case, Ocean Sun's doing very well. Right. Yeah, she's, yeah, she's up, like, she's up there. I think she, if I'm not mistaken, might be the oldest um, whale of all three pods, but don't quote me on that one. <laughs> so, so to me, that raises the question, who is still alive if she is an Elpod whale? Who is still alive when she was um, two, three years old and captured? You know, mm -hmm. are they still here? You know, because if they're not, are they going to recognize her? You know, I know that, you know, she'll potentially be speaking the same language, but I just don't see it as being this joyous reunion that, you know, everybody has been made to believe. Um, She's aging, you know, her teeth are in great shape, but she's got some health issues. So 
she's not going to be released. I, I don't see that happening um, because she needs continuous husbandry and or, you know, human human intervention and indefinitely. She's got to be on medications. I'm concerned um, her health, I think, is, is something to really look into. Um, the last report that was released said that she's stable. Stable doesn't tell me she's getting better. So I'm, you know, there's concern there. Um, I've heard she's got a lesion on her lung. I mean, I've been talking to scientists on that and that she's got this like cough thing going on recently. What does that mean? You know, and what is that lesion and how is that going to affect her long-term? And yeah, I mean, you know, plus she's in, I mean, Key Biscayne is not the probably pristine waters, you know, but they are, it is being filtered, you know, before it's into her tank. So her water is technically cleaner. So how would the water here in Washington state, which is one of the top three issues facing her family, you know, the toxins, um, how, how is that gonna affect her? And then flip it again, you know, what is, she's been in a tropical area most of her life, we know that the Marilla virus um, made its way down the East Coast and did get into uh, her uh, habitat. It affected some of the dolphins, I believe, at Miami Sea Aquarium. So yeah, there's a lot of um, unanswered questions. And as of yesterday, there's been no permits government-wise, um, and we haven't really seen a plan. Um, yeah, I mean, they released another um, press release yesterday or the day before. Oh, saying, did they? I might not have seen that. Yeah, it was like it was just clarifying, you know, oh, we've never said release. So it's almost like they're already kind of going back on what was a deliberately vague statement anyway. Um, right. But I think after what a lot of people have obviously jumped to conclusions of saying, oh, she's going to be re reunited with her family. Um, and they've kind of come out and said, you know, the plan was never to release her. It was to put her in a managed habitat, which they have not specified what that's going to look like or where it's going to be or if they even have plans for it. It just doesn't seem like this was very well thought out. But at the same time, to me, I guess if, if it was me and if I had say in this, I wouldn't be talking about it until I knew for sure, you know, Definitely. that we were going to either have NIMPS, National Marine Fisheries Service, say, yeah, okay, you guys want a permit, now we're going to have a comment period, and then start there. Like, at so the very I, least, have approval. Right. But I also think part of it is to get people excited and to raise money. It's going to cost a lot of money to not only get her here, if she even comes out here, um, and it's going to cost a lot of money to keep her there. What I think is really interesting that you said as well is, you know, if you're looking at things like the water quality of the area, the amount of boat traffic, the lack of prey, and how badly the southern residents who have been born wild and lived there their whole lives and are arguably adapted to thrive in that environment are struggling so much. Mm -hmm. What makes anyone think it's a good idea to put Toki there? 
question. <laughs> I know it's so right. It's so hard for us to like have an opinion because we really don't know, you know, I mean, if we knew like, Hey, they're going to put her here. Well, then I would have some things to say, you know, there's, there's a couple spots um, that I've heard about two are within critical habitat of the Southern resident killer whale community. And yeah, I have, we have, I should say concerns if that's the case. We need to really understand what you're going to do with her beforehand. And again, is this really? In well, we don't want to be bringing any like we don't want Toki bringing any pathogens to the southern residents right. either. You know exactly. that population is already endangered. Like we don't want to do anything else that is going to further endanger them. You know, expose them to pathogens that they don't have an immune system to fight off, and right. vice versa. I mean, we've also been talking because one of the one of the areas is pretty populated, you know, around the around the shore and the legislation this year actually passed a bill where all boats have to stay a thousand yards away from mm. an endangered species. So how is that going to affect if they do put her there? How is that going to affect the boaters that are transiting to their homes? and out you know so that was a question that we were like well that's interesting mm -hmm. you know how is that going to work then you've got the department of natural resources which is something that orca conservancy's been very invested in with the our sound our salmon coalition to get rid of atlantic salmon net pens out of washington state waters which they are now not allowed to put a net pen in our waters so are they going to need a permit because that's kind of a net pen might not be atlantic salmon plus the army corps of engineers has to get involved there's a lot of moving parts so to say that they don't know what they're doing it's scary they haven't thought it out i mean i i don't want to say that they haven't but there's a lot of things that need to be put together i mean just the the lack of scientists on their team like the lack um, of scientists team? on the With, the friends of friends of toki right um, but the whale sanctuary project is also involved and they have quite a large you know group of people that are part of their board i believe or at least working with the organization that do have the background so <laughs> I know, but there's there's so many people that know Toki personally that just haven't been consulted, you know, that know her specific history, right. um, which is not being taken into consideration. And we haven't even mentioned the fact that there's two Pacific white-sided dolphins that are supposedly moving with her. I mean, I've discussed this with a lot of different people, you know, and it, it brings back the argument of, you know, are you for captivity, against captivity? Honestly, it doesn't really matter if you're pro-animal. Like, it shouldn't matter. Um, and you know, sea pens are, I refuse to call them sanctuaries because that rubs me up the wrong way. Um, but sea pens aren't inherently bad. You know, if they're done right, they can actually improve your animal's welfare. As long as you're talking about the right animals and the right location and, you know, everything is done correctly. You know, we've seen it in places such as Dolphin Quest Bermuda who have expanded their lagoon to include a net in the ocean you know giving their animals more space that's fantastic i personally have worked 
in sea pens where it has not been done well and we had fish literally eating the dolphins which sounds like something out of a horror movie wow i didn't know that yeah it was there was some species of carnivorous fish that like got in through the fences and because we stationed the dolphins at you know in front of us stationary the fish would like come out from under the platforms and like bite them and then would open like wounds on their sides and then would like eat their flesh (laughs) like it sounds like a horror movie it's awful um so we had to bring yeah so we had to move the dolphins out of that lagoon and then we had to bring fishermen in who caught all of the fish and probably had a great barbecue that night and then we had to change the fencing so that none of those fish would get in again and then let the animal's skin heal it was a whole thing but like I find I think that's a really good example of how unpredictable sea pens can be and it's like it's something that you might never think about but it's like hey this is actually really not good for our animals um yeah I mean I think like what you're saying too um doing these types of potential releases is a case-by-case basis definitely definitely people that I've been speaking with um that are in the captive industry that know Lolita that change for her is just extremely difficult so what does that mean you know I mean I definitely would say I'm not for captivity especially not for killer whales I mean we've we've been there done that let's stop I don't I don't see the reasoning behind it unless it's a stranding you know i mean then okay you know that needs help but then make it a stranding and and potentially release Mm -hmm. you know i mean we were actually for putting up some sort of a hospital if you will for the southern residents where they could you know potentially come in love that idea tested antibiotics and then send them back out but then it started to morph into a permanent um sanctuary for other killer whales and we had to say no we actually opposed it i think you know that's like that was shocking i mean it's similar it's similar to captive born animals that show such an aversion to going out into big open spaces like even that net i mentioned at dolphin quest like they had to train their animals over a period of months to go out into the big lagoon and be like hey this is this is supposed to be a good thing and the animals are all happening with the belugas too didn't they have a nut pen for them and they've actually moved them back into smaller quarters are they still there in that they're still there yeah yeah um yeah so little white and again this is this is all part of it you know when you're talking about moving an animal from a captive setting to a quote-unquote seaside sanctuary like little white and little gray you know, and that was actually, in my opinion, I think it was actually a very valiant project. You know, these animals were quite recently caught. They were caught together. Um, They hadn't been in human care for very long. You know, the idea of putting them back in a sea pen, okay, it was in Iceland, not Russia, where they were captured, but it's similar enough that you would think they'd be able to adapt. And they went into that man-made pool first for some acclimatization and further veterinary tests. You know, it was all kind of done, I would say, above board and, you know, in the order that you would think. But um, through what they've posted, and I've also, I know a couple of trainers up there, they're just like, those belugas hate the sea pen. They Aww. don't come to control. They don't eat when they're out there. They show signs of stress. And because of all of the extreme weather out there, there were fears for their safety. So they've been in the man-made indoor pool for, right. I think, the best part of a year now. Um, wow. And, you know, that 
pool is smaller than what they had in Shanghai. So it's like, what have you gained by moving them? You know? Well, and I think that what you're saying too, because like with Springer, Springer wasn't really in captivity. I mean, they had her in a net pen and then they immediately, you know, it, it was over a couple months, well, not a couple months, but months, but not a lot of time had transpired yeah. for her to be, re, you know, re-entered into her um, natal waters and her family. Mm -hmm. So I think age is something to really consider. Mm -hmm. I mean, Keiko, a lot of people will say he's a success story. Was he? You know, I mean, yeah, he, you know, people will also say, well, he was free for the last few years of his life. Was he? As trainers, you know, we we make jokes and we know our animals in, inside and out, you know, their personalities. And we can make definitely educated guesses to be like, you know what, this animal's quite independent. Like they'd actually probably be quite adaptable. And then there's other animals you'd look at and be like, oh no, like they would have mm -hmm. a panic attack upon being placed in the stretcher. Like definitely not. And yeah, one of the places that was really apparent, I worked in the Dominican Republic in a sea pen um, location, like a lagoon location. And a lot of those dolphins, I wouldn't say they were semi-wild, but they had retained a lot of their hunting instincts, you know, like a lot of fish came through there, a lot of octopus, and they would hunt together and catch them and play with them. You know, it was a very enriching area for them. And we would often be like, oh yeah, like if a hurricane came through and like the fences were opened, like we could say maybe five of them, we'd never see them again. 10 of them <laughs> would be like, yeah, we'll come in and out. Like we'll come back for dinner, but like, we're going to be out here. And then some of them would be like, we are not leaving like where are our humans can can we please stay so interesting personality definitely definitely plays a part um you yeah. can very easily see which animals adapt very well and find i would go so far as to say find a lot of things that are positive for them in the way we work with them and the way we care for them in human care and i do believe that there are some animals that don't adapt well yeah I think I would agree with that. I mean, I think that's just every species. I don't think it's just killer whales or dolphins or cetaceans, if you wish. Um, yeah, I think that's every, I mean, <laughs> you go and buy a dog, you want one that's like, yay, outgoing, you know, and, and wanting to meet people. And then you've got the ones that are like hiding. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's yeah. issues there. Yeah, and you have to take into consideration, you know, the learning history as well. You know, you have animals that can be very frightened, but it's like, okay, well, what happened, you know, in their first six months of, you know, right. being with being in their new home, like did a big thunderstorm come in? Okay, now all of a sudden they're afraid of whatever happened just before that. So, right. you know, I think it's, we can all agree that the conditions that Lolita is in currently is not adequate for her, nor is it what yeah. she should have been living in for the last five decades. Like she should just not be there. But we've kind of come to this point where it's like, are we really being smart with where we're putting our money and time and resources? You know, why are we pouring millions into a whale who's arguably going to suffer with this move when we could actually put that money to better use i don't know if suffer is the right word but definitely is not going to do well mm -hmm. i mean i just don't it, there's yeah. just too many things going on with her right now mm -hmm. and her age i mean i keep going back to that you know the, the age her her health 
There's just so many question marks. There is, there is, there's just way too many questions. And until they come up and actually release a plan again, um, or at least, you know, get a permit going, you know, I mean, cause people are checking. I mean, we're, we all are, we're all like, what is going on? We want to know. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's not to, you know, I, I, because I think we would have much probably better educated answers if we actually knew, you know, what the thought process is that they're trying to do here. Definitely. Yes, I do think, you know, throwing money at the situation, it's great. I think she's become a liability. I hate to say that. I mean, they can't show her anymore. Poor girl. I mean, she's, she's worked all this time and it just kind of seems like they just want to make sure that they're not there because if she dies there's gonna they're gonna get the backlash from it you're completely right every you single know? trainer will agree with you on that like she is not allowed to be kept for public display anymore so she is just a drain on their funding so they are wanting yeah. to get rid of her and this is one way that they can do that while yeah. also making themselves look good in the public eye it's very obvious that that's what they're doing um yeah. It's but, sad. I think it's really sad because she deserves so much more. She does. I mean, she's basically an ambassador for the Southern resident species. She does. Yeah. For sure. I think she definitely, I'd love to see her go to a bigger um, tank, if you will, or at least something, but we I just, would. I don't see that happening. And then would it be in her best interest? How would she adapt with other killer whales? Would she be by herself? this conversation about the southern residents toki being one of them what are what is one thing that's or a couple of things that are easy if every single person listening to this episode could do one thing to help the southern residents today what could it be donate <laughs> no seriously well all uh, the links will be below all the links for donation will be below so if you know um, i mean genuinely Become educated. I think that's really, you know, I find it really interesting that a lot of people really don't know that Southern residents are endangered. I mean, mm. I've had friends go, what are you talking about? I mean, I've been mm. doing this for years. Killer whales aren't endangered. I'm like, they're Southern yeah. resident killer whales. And they're like, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. And I find that fascinating because they are the most intensively studied population really on the planet. And it still seems to me, you know, spread the word. I think maybe that would be even better. If you're listening to this, do some research, reach out to us, go to our website. There's so much information. We've redone our website. There's educational information. There's, you know, information on each metro line and just so many things that you can do really to help this population for sure. Absolutely. And all of the links will be in the description box um, Thank you. of this podcast. So if you are listening and you do want more information and you do want to get involved and I would urge you to um, go and check them out because you can definitely um, help to make a change. Yeah. I also want to take the time to personally thank you for coming on this podcast and showing that both sides of the argument can put aside their differences to really focus on what's best for the animals it's something that I wish would happen more, that people would be more open-minded. And I'm talking about trainers and I'm talking about activists or people who work out with wild animals. I have definitely 
personally been on the side of a lot of hate for what I did slash do as a job and I'm very well aware of that um but I hope that you've been able to see through our conversation that I personally am also very open-minded and always want to put the animals first so yeah thank you thank you and I I'm thankful that you reached out and thankful for your patience because we have been really busy and (laughs) we kind of I know we rescheduled a few times but I do again differences of opinions come to the table let's solve them you know because a lot of times when somebody has a difference of opinion you learn something might not agree with it but you still learn you know and you're more open-minded the next time the subject comes up and I think more of that should happen definitely for sure well Sherry thank you so much thank you thank you thank you thank you let's talk again okay Oh, for sure. Keep in touch. Anytime (laughs) you need anything, give me a bell. You too. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have enjoyed this week's episode, then please don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe, and I will catch you all next week.